right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed therapist specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Um, as all of you know, perhaps, this is a question and answer based podcast where you, the listener, get to send me, the therapist, uh, questions about anxiety and OCD, and I will. Uh, listen to it, read it, uh, consider it, and likely put it up on a future episode. As I've mentioned before, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com, send me a question over there. Uh, you can also send me a question over at Instagram. So, um, uh, yes, you can go to fearcastpodcast.com. You can also go to fearcastpodcast over at the Instagrams. I'm over there doing stuff. So, you can send me your question there. That's also fine. However, you can also send me a audio question. And that audio question is is good, not likely. It is going to go to the top of the list and is going to get uh, preference over the written ones. And it's I'm trying to not play favorites, but I'm also trying to play favorites. I'm trying to cultivate a a a, a, um, a podcast that sounds interesting and people want to listen to. But because I think that it sounds personal and having your voice. And guess what, everybody? Today is an audio question. I got a gaggle of them like all at once. It's so fantastic. So the next couple episodes are likely to have some uh, audio question to it. And it's just wonderful. So for all of you who have sent in questions, thank you so much. And for all of you who are, are, are you sent in your audio question, it, it's coming. I saw it. It's coming. So you can go over to, the best way to do that, I think, is to go over to Instagram. Send me a direct message a um, uh, and press it on the little button on the little bottom of, of, next to the text line. You can press the microphone button and record it. And it sends it right to me. Me. Um, and uh, that 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 is what we'll do. So today's question comes from Natalie, and uh, I'll play her audio question here shortly. Um, but just wanted to throw that out there. Again, you can also send me a shared Google Drive link to uh, to an audio if you record it however you want, upload it to Google Drive, send me the link, and I'll get it that way. Either way, it's going to work. Um, where to begin then? Um, shout out to everybody out there who attended the um, the OCD SoCal kind of mini mini weekend conference. It was uh, just one day, a couple hours during uh, a Saturday. So the last Saturday, I know I posted uh, or an episode went up that was recorded before the conference, and then anyways, you get the idea. So this is the first recording one after that. So um, it was super fun to see everybody. Conferences are just a bunch of fun to go and um, meet people, uh, see people, hear questions. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to do something on this a little bit later. I don't know if I'll do it directly on the podcast, but at least I'll try to write something about it. Something that was overwhelming to me with the questions that people had. So at the end, of, there was like a bunch of different talks they had and a um, bunch of uh, fantastic speakers. Um, but at the end, there's this giant Q&A of everybody who went in this big, big stinking room. And the overwhelming pattern I, saw, I heard and saw was parents struggling with their kids, struggling with their minors to try to get them in treatment, to try to get them to face their anxieties uh, and to to pull back from their compulsive routines and, and rituals. Um, and it, it, you could hear the, the, the helplessness from these parents. You could hear the, the, the pain that they're struggling with and, and what their family is dealing with uh, as they're asking their questions. 
And it stinks. It stinks because it feels like even even as therapists that there can be this this shared powerlessness because, you know, how do you force someone to do something they don't want to do? Now, a lot of you out there are listening to this podcast and are saying, you know what, I'm taking ownership of my life again. I'm doing it. I'm going to try to get some information and try to get some encouragement and some power, and I'm going to go do it and push against this anxiety monster, and I'm going to go live my life again, which is wonderful. But how do you get someone to do it who doesn't want to do it? It's so hard. So if you are in that position, if you are a parent, if you are a loved one seeing someone struggle and they are just wallowing in their obsession, I hear you. You are seen. And, and I, I, I want to try to help as much as I can. And I want to try to uh, put together some things that might be helpful. But um, I think that is a call to other, um, other therapists, other, uh, other people in the OCD community to step up and to think about what can we do to get information, to get power into people's hands. One of the things that actually stuck out to me the most, um, and I've talked about this, um, I don't know why I'm going on this tangent, by the way, this has nothing to do with the, um, the topic or the question, but, um, one of the things that someone responded to is, is, is this, is, it's kind of like this question of like, well, how do you, you know, how do you develop consequences? Because we don't want to make therapy seem like a punishment. We don't want to say, you need to do X or I will take Y from you, right? Um, as, a, as, a, as a punishment for not doing something. Um, but instead, it, there, there was a, a slight reframe of kind of this power sent back to a parent to say, you know, you, yes, you are not going to do this or you're, you're choosing to do X, but I'm going to do Y. And it's a subtle shift, but it's saying like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to participate in the accommodation. If you are going to do your compulsion, you are going to do your compulsion, but I choose what I'm going to do. And that may be, you know what, I'm leaving for work and, you know, we're not taking you to school or, you know, I'm not going to buy food for you at the, I'm not going to buy your specific highly required food at the supermarket because your anxiety requires it. I'm going to go to the supermarket. I'm going to get food that we want. If you want this, this diet, or if you want this item, you are going to have to do it and you are going to have to do the ritual around this. And if it takes you to shower for a long time, that's up to you. But you know what? You, if you want to shower for two hours, I get to control and I'm going to turn the shower off after half an hour. And that's one of the realities of this. And all this is very specific and it requires a lot of conversation and a lot of discussion with uh, the kid in the room and the parent and the therapist and all this stuff and making agreements. But um, that, that's, that's what was beating over my head and I, now I'm beating you all over it, uh, beating your head or your ears perhaps. Um, anyway, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get off my soapbox and get off my um, contemplative nonsense and we're going to jump into the question. So I'm going to share this question from Natalie uh, and then I'm going to add a little bit that she then uh, sent in uh, following that and then I'll, I'll, I will chat about it. So here's the question from Natalie. So I'm just going to jump right in here. We mostly hear about ROCD in terms of doubting your own love for your partner, but less about doubting your partner's love and commitment to you. Um, Basically, throughout the entire five years of my last relationship, I was really haunted by doubts and rumination about things like whether my partner really loved me, whether he settled for me, whether I was a consolation prize, um, and especially whether or not he was cheating on me or about to cheat on me. 
And the thing is, I felt like these doubts didn't come from nowhere, but from real life behaviors or occurrences I was picking up on. Um, the problem is they were always kind of arguably ambiguous things like swiping away from his computer screen, quote unquote, too fast, or giving me what I perceived as an evasive answer when I asked him what he did today once or twice, or a small discrepancy in a story he told me before, or, you know, like one time um, <laughs> I found three links of a very small chain in the bathroom of an Airbnb was renting, and I felt like, oh God, it's a piece of bracelet from someone he's cheating on me with, stuff like that. Um, the stock advice I always get is just talk to your partner about it, which sounds good on paper, but given the frequency with which I feel doubts like this, I could be asking my partner for some new reassurance every single day. In short, I'm really conflicted. Um, on one hand, I don't want to dismiss potential real dangers as quote, just hypervigilance or OCD. And yet on the other, I don't want to miss out on enjoying my relationships because I'm A, constantly scanning for dangers and then B, quizzing my partner about them or asking him for reassurance. When you're living with this kind of ROCD, how do you decide what to dismiss and what to address? How do you navigate that seeming gray area between a healthy sharing of your fears with your partner and compulsive reassurance seeking. You know, when suspicion is your default mode, every little thing seems to confirm it, um, particularly when those things are a little ambiguous, like this could be seen as sketchy or there could be a perfectly reasonable explanation. How do you choose when to let go and when to bring it up? How do you trust? And as a side note, I know these things weren't just linked to my ex because I'm in a new, very different relationship now, but experiencing virtually identical struggles. And man, it is exhausting. Um, I just want to enjoy it, but I'm really terrified to let my various and frequent suspicions and doubts go. Um, so if you have any thoughts or advice on this um, about kind of this subset of ROCD in general, uh, I'd love to hear it. Thank you so much. So Natalie then sent a message to me afterwards, uh, all, all through Instagram, and she said, uh, she said, um, I just want to footnote, or add a footnote to this recording, um, or the, the footnote to this regarding ERP. She says, sometimes ERP for this subtype feels lose-lose because airing out your concerns or fears feels like giving in to reassurance seeking, but holding them in feels like avoidance of having a, a difficult conversation. She then goes on to say, not sure if this makes any sense, but but hopefully, or but basically, uh, a, a confusion that often pops up for me is the idea that I may use ERP, and she says, uh, live with uncertainty, as an excuse to not have to be vulnerable with my partner or start an anxiety-inducing conflict through sharing. She says, in short, if your partner is up to something that seems sketchy, you don't want to just go, oh, well, um, oh, oh, well, let me live with the uncertainty here and accidentally gaslight yourself into ignoring the signs. But barring the, quote, no-duh situations like finding a used condom wrapper in your partner's jean pocket, that sounds very specific, by the way, or something, 90% um, of the time it feels hard to say what's really questionable or not. So, Natalie, thank you so much for all of that. Yeah, this is a this is a tough situation. It's tough for anybody, and I hear I I, I hear this sometimes. Or I, I hear kind of this this conflict, right? What do you lean into, and what do you not? 
right? What is the thing of concern and how do you address the thing of concern without being compulsive? But how do you accept uncertainty without, you know, setting yourself up for failure or putting yourself or for some, how do you not do a compulsion, but don't put yourself in a dangerous situation, right? It, it, it can feel a, a little murky. So I, I hope I hope I can help with this a little bit today, but um, yeah, I've kind of wrote down some notes here, and um, what I would love in this as well, I've shared this before, for anybody out there who's listening, if I, you know, I'll yammer on about this for a little bit, but if there's something you feel I missed, or you wanted to add to this, or you felt like there was something else that could have been shared, send me a message over at Fearcast Podcast at uh, Instagram, or send me an email over at um, fearcastpodcast.com. I would love to share those. If there was some feedback that I could get, and that I can provide then in a future episode to Natalie, I'm happy to do that. Um, so that is that. All right. So, um, so one of the things, one of the first things that I want to just say is I, I, I appreciate that at the ending of your audio, you said there was a, you've already noticed this pattern within your past relationships. So in other words, Natalie, this ain't new. This pattern that you've had about past relationships is something that is common. You've seen it before. It showed up in past relationships and it's showing up again. So it's helpful to notice what kind of your natural inclination is. And we can use that as, in a sense, something that you can rely back in and say, you know what, self, um, you know, if, if this thought is popping up about, uh, you know, whether my partner is cheating on me, whether or not they love me, but this is kind of the question I get in every relationship. It may not be the partner that you're with. It may be the anxiety that you're having. Now, I keep emphasizing may here because one of the realities is, is that you never know. You never know what's going to happen within your relationship and whether or not that person is going to cheat on you. Now, I want to talk about that um, in, in just a bit. Um, but something that something that kind of kept coming up or that, that I was I was wondering about in this and this you know this can be its own little rabbit hole and this can be its own you know um, uh, subject that's rife for rumination um, and it may be something to help expand on with a therapist um, in in time um, but it got me wondering like what are what is the core fear here what is the kind of um, as IBT would call it, what is the vulnerable self theme um, that that's going on here um, and, and I kind of essentially, it's what, what's the meaning of the obsession? Um, you talked about like being, you know, you worried about being loved enough, or I wonder if it was about whether or not you're, you're afraid in this, you're, that you're not loved enough, not loved correctly. Maybe is it that you're worried that you're not lovable at all? Um, and also to that end, like what is what does the idea of being rejected mean or symbolize for you? What does it what does it say then about you? If that were true, um, what does it say for the rest of your life? Um, you know, and kind of considering like what sort of what sort of person then gets rejected or isn't loved enough? And I wonder what what that says about you. Now I know we're getting you know really deep, but this you know this is stuff to maybe think about. Is that are are there some of these themes that's fueling this? Um, and, and also, it sounds like that there's this fear of then being blindsided, right? If your compulsion then is is in the compulsion with with you know all manner of anxiety, it's a safety behavior, it's a safety activity that you do, whether it's a mental activity or or an overt meaning external activity to try to seek safety. Now, one of those ways can be reassurance. 
right? If we're feeling uncertain, we seek reassurance and we seek safety again. I feel unsafe. I want confirmation that I am safe. I am doubtful and unsure. I want to gather more information and do that. And, and, and gather more information to the point where I can feel uh, assured and I can feel knowledgeable and confident with whatever might be happening. But I wonder if there's this fear that you're going to be blindsided. Therefore, you seek all this information in order to feel certain. You you rely on constant and, and excessive vigilance in order to prevent the possibility of being blindsided. So I, I, I wonder how those mechanisms, mechanisms would fit with you and something to, to consider in, in how this is motivating it for you. Additionally, I was sitting here going, all right, you have a pattern of obsessing about not being loved enough, not being cheated or, and being cheated on. Is there a pattern of being rejected and cheating on and settled for in your life? Has it happened to you? In other words, do you have personal experience that's kind of fueling this doubt about your current relationships? Meaning, like, hey, that happened that that happened to me in junior high. My or my, you know, my high school boyfriend was, you know, cheating on me with this other person, and you know, that kind of created this this belief or provided evidence for this belief. Now that may or may not happen. You may have said, "No, every relationship's fantastic." It's more speculation for someone out there, um, and I know it's. Ugh, it's hard to then say, hey, I know you think about this a lot and ruminate about this a lot. Hey, Natalie, go ahead and ruminate about this just a little bit more. But again, there can be, it's important to recognize the difference between thinking and ruminating. Thinking about things is gathering information, weighing the pros and cons, considering things, and then taking action and moving forward with that information. Rumination is all of that getting to a conclusion but going back to the beginning and just kind of restarting that process just to make sure that, you know, you, you've dotted all your T's and crossed your I's and, I don't know, put the little tail on your Y's and G's. I don't know, whatever it might be, Q's for that matter. It's, um, it, it goes over and over and over again. So more stuff to, the, more stuff to think about. Um, but again, so back to this. Is there evidence from your past relationships that's feeding into this obsession and providing evidence for the obsession? Additionally, does your partner, current partner, that past partner that you were just talking about, do they have a history of cheating? Is his sketchy behavior new? Or was that kind of a pattern of behavior? That's just kind of who he was. Was something, is there a there there, right? Was there a problem or is this just, in other words, are you, are, is this something that you're pulling from? Is something that your obsessive doubt is pulling on? Um, as evidence, or is this just conjured out of nowhere? All of that's to say is there, you know, how can we start to challenge the, the, the legitimacy of, of this thought and how you can then deal with it um, moving forward? I totally agree with this point, though. You, you kind of said the, the common advice you get is, is talk to your partner, right? But then you said something like, but yeah, if I do that, it's just going to be constant reassurance seeking because you're, you're, there's always going to be something. And that's exactly right. There will always be something with this obsession, right? Even if that, that's, this is a part of the problem with the OCD, with OCD. It's probably a problem with anxiety and reassurance seeking. Now, information gathering is important. We want to gather information when we are lacking it, right? But when we get information and then we doubt the information that we have, or when we get information and then our brain says, well, but have you considered this? 
Or what about this? Or it says, well, yeah, but they said this, but what if they're lying to you? And it goes into, it goes into fantasy land. It goes into and pulls from things that are either not existent, completely made up, um, are fragments or distortions of, of other facts or beliefs, um, or just possibilities, just things that could happen. And your anxiety will put all those together and say, you know what, I'm going to undermine what you just heard or what you know, or what you think and what you, what you, what you've been told and throw you back into this rumination cycle. So you're right. That cycle is going to keep on going. Now talking to your partner though, can be, can be really, really helpful um, in terms of, you know, in terms of trying to join on this and for them to know what your pitfalls are, what your triggers are, what your compulsions are. At some point, if you are constantly going towards the side of rumination, man, your partner's going to catch on. And they're going to say, gosh, something's going on with Natalie. She keeps asking me the same stinking questions over and over and over again. Your partner needs to know that they, that they shouldn't continue to participate in that reassurance cycle. Now, if there's a new question, like we've talked about before, if there's a new question or new or, or something that you are lacking information on, ask the question. Ask the question. But if it's that same thing that you've asked before, if you asked kind of that same thing but in a slightly different way, and you're kind of feeling that it's it's not out of information that you're missing, it's out of obsessive doubt. It's out of that, oh, yeah, but what if... It is your job to resist that and to, and to accept the uncertainty, accept that moment of uncertainty and say, this is information that I'm, I'm choosing to not get right now and choosing to rely instead on what I've previously heard. Now, your partner you can say, Natalie, you know, I love you, but boy, this sounds like you're OCD and, you know, Kevin told me not to answer that. Or it can be, hey, you know, this sounds like it's your OCD and, you know, we talked about that before, you said not to answer that. You can also say, you know what, what did I say last time to this? Not as like a dismissive, like, go after yourself sort of thought, but like, you know, we, it's reflecting. We've talked about this before. You've asked about this before. How did I answer that before? Can you, in other words, can you, Natalie, rely on that information that, that is in the back of your head and try to trust that and act as if that's true instead of acting as if your obsessive doubt is true, accepting that that thought might be more true than what I previously told you? That can help you to start trusting yourself, your memories, your experiences, what you heard, and practicing accepting this uncertainty with all of that trust in the fact that you might not know. Um, before we get into the ERP component of this, um, you know, I want to talk about. Like, I, I tend to think relationship OCD can be a combination of genuine relationship issues and OCD. I don't necessarily want to say it's all one or the other, and it can be a mixture of the two. And sometimes people have, people through their attachment styles struggle to, to feel connected, struggle to, to feel seen and heard. Now, that's a, a bigger conversation to have and have with someone who's more of an expert with, within attachment. Um, I, I keep thinking I'm going to try to wrangle the misses in on one of these podcasts to talk about attachment. She's, uh, she specializes in emotionally focused couples therapy. Uh, she wants nothing to do with OCD, and I want nothing to do with couples work, um, traditional couples work. Um, but um, it may be something I'll try to wrangle her in at some point. But, but Natalie, I wonder, you know, 
if there are, if, if there are ways that you're, to, to, to the point about having that conversation with your partner and kind of addressing this, I wonder if there are ways that he can help you to feel seen and heard and loved. I wonder if there are things that he is doing that's making you feel that way, making you feel not loved or not loved enough. I wonder, or or kind of, uh, uh, what, what was the word you used? Let me slide. Um, uh, settled for, or like some consolation prize. Are there things that he says that just kind of makes you feel that way? Like, for example, maybe he's constantly talking about his ex. Gosh, I bet that's really going to undermine a feeling of security and confidence within the relationship. This is OCD aside. It would probably make anybody feel that way. Are there things that he things that he does? Like when you said he's acting kind of sketchy, right? What is the sketchy thing that he's doing? Could you cite that and say, hey, you know, when you when you respond like this, or when you waver, or when you act this way, you know, it it creates this sense of uncertainty. Now, this is this is a, a balancing a balancing act I'm trying to do here because you know, in a sense, yes, OCD will read into damn near anything. But if he's not setting himself up for, for success, in fact, if he's doing things that are indeed kind of sketchy to the average person, you know, it's really going to tee anxiety up for, for a field day at a party. So we want to have these, it can be helpful to have these conversations as to a certain degree, one and done, meaning you are going to have this conversation, but it's not going to be the conversation that you have every day or, you know, every time you notice this, maybe there are those periodic state of the union conversations where they're, you know, you say, Hey, uh, can we, can we talk about the relationship and addressing some of those things? And this may be something to have within the context of a therapy session with, with your therapist who knows you and your patterns and what's working and not working in your life, but to address some of those things that he might be doing that feel sketchy and and to see if he recognizes them as sketchy. And if he would be willing to do something different to help you to feel connected and loved and, and, and a, part of, a part of the relationship. Now, I'm going to say all of that to also say he needs to be on board with it too. He needs to be able, he needs to, from whatever you request, and whatever you think it would be helpful, he also needs to be able to agree to it and say, yes, I'm willing to do this. And if it's above and beyond what he's willing to do, it, it, it may cause a rift within the relationship. He has to be willing to participate in that too. Another thing to consider as well is, you know, I, I, this is kind of going out of order, I suppose. Have you ever felt connected to a relationship in the past? Has there ever been a relationship where you felt really confident in and you didn't feel this? I wonder what those differences would be, what those differences were. What did they say? What did they think? What did they do? What did you say, think, and do differently within the relationship than you're currently doing within this relationship? Number one, I bet rumination. Number one, I bet, or number two, I bet checking. Those things are different. But I wonder if there were different things. So, more stuff to think about within that, Natalie. Um, all right. Okay, let's let's jump into ERP. I'm kind of just cycling through my notes to make sure I'm going to be on track here. All right. So you, one of the things you were talking about is like, how do you balance that like airing concern versus holding it in, right? 
you could certainly make the argument on both sides of things, but but as as you correctly pointed out, you you don't want to constantly be questioning the relationship, right? Because that's you don't want to give into that compulsion. But man, you also don't want to just ignore things that that could be uh, big red flags. Now, I love what you said. You said. Barring those absolute, I forget the exact verbiage you use. Let me pull that up. Um, <laughs> barring the, the no does situations, right? Um, again, finding a used condom wrapper in your partner's jean pocket. It's very specific. Um, but yeah, bar, all right. So with those, there, there can be helpful. It can be helpful sometimes to think about like, what would be the obvious thing? How would you know? What would be without question? Um, that your doubt may be actually not doubt, but may actually be true. I mean, yeah, man, if you find that, that, that used condom wrapper, or the used condom for that matter, either one, if you find the used condom, you can break up with them. That's, no one should be carrying that in their pocket. But if, yeah, barring that, yeah, break up with them, sure. But, you know, you, you do you. If you want to reconcile, Mazatov. So, all right, barring those, there is going to be an element of accepting the uncertainty, at the end of the day, you have to accept uncertainty with this. There is a point that you can never fully know about that relationship and about what he is or is not doing. Everything is ultimately going to be speculation for this reason. You've asked him, and yeah, we can ask, hey, this thing you did is really sketchy. Hey, are you doing something sketchy? It gives him the opportunity to be honest or not. Now, whether or not you believe the honesty is a different question, and whether or not, um, no, that's a separate conversation. All right, so he gives him the opportunity to be honest or not. All right, if he's not cheating on you, he says, hey, I'm not cheating on you. Great. Then you have your answer. But we have to accept the possibility that maybe he's lying to you. I'll say this. I hope he's not. I hope he's being honest with you. But it's that possibility, right? We recognize some people are liars. Some people are cheaters, right? I don't want to blanket this. Some people cheat. Not all people are cheaters, or you get the idea. Anyways, point is, I don't know if he is. The only people who really know whether or not truly that he is cheating is him and God. Those are the two people. Outside of that, all we can do truly and honestly is accept the information that we're given. And if he's saying no, are you willing to accept that? And then are you willing to accept and act as if that's true? Now, again, you could ask him every single day and he could say, nope, I'm not cheating on you. And he still could. That's where, that, that's where this uncertainty has to come in. And that's where we have to sit with the reality of it and knowing that the, the, uh, uh, there, there's still the possibility of the, there's still the possibility that it could happen. So all you can do is go with the evidence that he's given you and all other evidence outside of that, that evidence that says he is when he says that he is not, is a manifestation of your imagination and a manifestation of the what-ifs and the potential possible things that might happen. So how do you deal with that? Well, this is going to kind of be a, a choose-your-own-adventure. I will first say... I, I think one of the most important things to do is to acknowledge just what, what it feels like in the thoughts that are going through your mind. I think 
relying on and using acceptance and commitment therapy, I think, will be really helpful for you. So accepting the reality of the situation. He has said X, and we're going to act as if X is true. He has said he's not, so we're going to act as if he isn't until those obvious evidences appear, right? Okay, because that would certainly change the, the calculus in the story. But we're going to accept it as if it's true. We're going to, we're going to build up this awareness in when you are giving into hypervigilance. I know it's weird to say I'm going to be vigilant of my hypervigilance, but there's probably a pattern that you know that when you are ruminating about something, that you, when you are giving something excessive attention. Um, uh, again, I like to, I'll, 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 I'll go back to Michael Greenberg's three stages of attention to this, and I'm probably going to screw this up, but it's kind of like, you know, things pop into our awareness. It's just stuff that pops into our head. Uh, we can be triggered to various things, whatever our brain gives us a thought. We can be aware of that, but it doesn't. It's a passive thought. It, we are not giving it energy. When we start to give it energy, now it has attention. Now it's within our attention, right? That's where we are thinking about it. And the more that we think about it and stress about it and lean into it and go through the cycle of it, then it leans or turns into rumination. Through building this pattern of awareness and and knowledge of who it is that you are and what your kind of patterns are, you can start to see. Oh, you know what? I think I'm falling into that path again. Know what your triggers are. Know what your patterns are of rumination so that when you see them, you can step back from yourself and go, I'm doing that thing. My brain is ruminating about this. I'm in that concern again. I'm, I'm trying to figure this out again. I know me and I've been me a long time. I know what I'm about. And then once you notice it, you make a hard left turn back to reality Here's what you can know. And you can say, you know what? Gosh, that would suck, right? We've talked about those non-engagement responses. It would be awful if he cheated on you. Wouldn't that be devastating? Would that be so painful if he cheated on you? Yes. But that is future Natalie's problem. Until you have that, that evidence, you don't have it. Until then, all you have is thoughts and uncertainties. So we recognize that. And we bring ourselves back to the here and now. What can I know about today? Right now, I have this thought. Right now, I have this pit in my stomach. Right now, my, my chest is tight. Right now, I have that lump in my throat. Right now, I have thoughts floating, flying through my head about what could be and what he's doing and what the hell that thing was and why is he acting that way. He's looking over here and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's kind of what I do. Oh, brain, looking out for me. Boy, you're really good at looking out for me, aren't you? Man, you're really checking out and making sure that nothing bad's going to happen to me. Thanks, bro. Thanks. But no thanks. I'm good. Until I get this information, until I get certainty I don't have it. So, until then, he's being weird. All right. So, you can practice that, you know, the cool story, bro. You can practice the maybe. You can practice the non-engagement responses. But ultimately, all that does is it acknowledges the thought, acknowledges the urge that you have, and lets you, it gives you the opportunity to recenter back to where you are in this moment in time today and what you can know, what, you ha what information you have, and also what information you don't have and how your brain is trying to, trying to use the evidence of imagination, the evidence of hearsay, the evidence of possibility, the evidence of yabats, the evidence of storytelling, or in other words, excuse me, not of storytelling, of, of like all those horrible stories you've heard about other people cheating. Yeah, 
yeah, thanks, Brain, for providing all that evidence. But you know what? That's not me. That's not me right now. That's not my story thus far. So it can ground you back in this moment and then to say, all right, now what am I going to do with this? So I hope I'm not too all over the place with this, but there is going to be an, an uncertainty that you have to accept. While you can, uh, you can have an agreement, maybe, you can chat and chat with him. And this is one of those things where if you were in the room, we could talk about this. We can talk about what it'd be like to maybe pull back on um, compuls- compulsions and, and see, uh, reassurance seeking. To say, you can never ask about this again, to a certain degree feels both unrealistic and also um, atypical. I think the average person, if you were with a partner who is ultra sketchy, um, or is doing things that were sketchy, they, yeah, you, you might ask. But what is going to be an appropriate and reasonable and sustainable frequency? So that may be a conversation to have. What is it? You get to ask about things once a week. You get to ask things once a month. You get things twice a, twice a week. I don't know. Is there a you notice something and then you wait a week and then you ask? So all of this just would depend on on what's the frequency for you, but it's in the meantime, in between that asking and checking, that you're going to have to practice the uncertainty. And also think about how do you then practice shifting towards the relationship and trying to make it the best you can. We talk a lot about the disastrous things within a relationship, the breaking up, the not feeling loved, all those core fears. But we also don't talk about in the midst of all that, how do we disconnect from the feared story and toward building a relationship that is values-driven and positive and loving? So what does that look like to do in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the uncertainty? And that's where I would encourage you to to look into and to think about what can I do today that would be building into this relationship and acting as if my partner is trustworthy. Um, there's a there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I'm going to completely obliterate here, but it goes something like this. If you, if you want to love someone, act as if you love them already. And it's something like, and sooner or later you will find that you do. I don't know, whatever the case may be. But it's, but it's this idea that if you want to believe, if you want to trust someone, act as if they are trustworthy. What would you do? How would, what would you not be doing if he was trustworthy? I want you to act, and this is kind of an exposure, act as if that's true. And see how that changes your dynamics, see if it changes your relationship with him and the way that you relate to him. Now, in the course of doing that, it could completely explode and he could be a complete liar. But that's that existential possibility. I live with that every day. My partner lives with that every day. Everyone out there who's listening to this, who is ostensibly in a relationship where no one is cheating, there's always the possibility... But it doesn't mean that's the probability or the likelihood or just because the thought is in your head means that it's more likely than not. So, Natalie, at the end of the day, I'm asking you to live in a way that's consistent with the way typically everyone else is living with the uncertainty. So, Natalie, I hope that was helpful. I know it was a lot, uh, a lot of information, a lot of my yammering. But I really appreciate your question. And it's a big murky mess. And it's a lot of things that I'm sure I missed some points. And there are some things that I should have delved into more and other points that maybe I didn't need to to delve into at all. And that is the magic of podcasting and not knowing. So I hope any of this was beneficial to you or to another person out there. So 
At this point, everybody, I'm going to slide that music in and thank everybody again for making it through this episode. Um, Again, it is a pleasure that people would entrust me with their questions and and, uh, uh, let me be a part of their recovery story. I say it before, and uh, I hate that it, it, I sound cheesy saying it. I feel weird saying it, but it's also in earnest. I do believe this. I do, uh, it's it's, it's my deep honor to be a part of this. So anyways, enough of that. Um, Everybody, please remember that the FearCast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help in your recovery, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, and there's going to be the find help link, click it, and there's going to be some information for you there. So until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye. Thank you.